0: You're listening to a podcast from St. Bart's To find out more about our church or to take a next step, visit stbart's.com.au. It would be terrific to have your Bibles open if you've got one. So Bible, your Bible app at Jeremiah chapter 32. There's also some sermon points on the back of the news so you can follow along there. It's in English, Korean, Dinka and simplified Chinese very final week in jeremiah so as we come to this chapter let's let's pray and ask for god's help grace father please give us wisdom and conviction to invest our whole lives with wholehearted devotion in service of your kingdom priorities in jesus name amen the city of Napoli, Naples and southern Italy is not only home to some of the best pizza in the world, but it is nestled amidst a constellation of active volcanoes. So not just one volcano, not two volcanoes, but a constellation. It's surrounded by a trio of active volcanoes. In fact, more than three and a half million people live within just 30 kilometers of at least one of those volcanoes. Now, in order to help manage that risk, the planning authorities have long established zones about where you can build and where you cannot. Now, that seems like a pretty sensible decision to me. But what is extraordinary, amazing to both Patrice and I when we spent some time there, is that some people have completely disregarded those zones and constructed their homes right where they ought not to. So this isn't just like when you go to the beach and you build your sandcastle a bit close to the waves, the volcano is smouldering. Just a few kilometres down the road, Pompeii serves as a constant reminder of the destructive potential of the region's geology. It's not that it's just a bit risky, but future heartache seems certain. You wonder what what could drive them to, to do this? Is this Defiant resolve or naive optimism or reckless abandonment or or blind ignorance? Why build a home? Why invest in something whose future seems in jeopardy, seems very tentative? As we come to Jeremiah chapter 32 in 587 BC, Judah is at one of its lowest points in history. Jerusalem was besieged the prior year, the following year it will be destroyed. Comprehensive in defeat and destruction by the Babylonians is imminent. In fact, we're reminded of that right in the opening verses of chapter 32, that the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, that King Zedekiah will not escape, that resistance is futile. So things are really grim. But not only that, it was foreknown. So remember, this is what Jeremiah had been warning God's people about for over two decades. Everything that the Lord had warned would happen, has happened, is happening, or will happen. Yet it's right into that space and time, something really baffling occurs. I mean, this is really quite the plot, <laughs> plot twist. Jeremiah gets into real estate. (laughs) He buys a field in land that is actually already under Babylonian control. So this is not like getting in the ground floor of a really great investment, something that has really great potential. It's like buying property on the hillside of a volcano that has already begun to erupt. Jeremiah had never doubted the Lord's warnings. He wasn't faking all that along in order to sort of snag a great deal. So what's happening? Is this defiant resolve? Naive optimism? Reckless abandonment? Or blind ignorance? What gave him the confidence to do that? And actually, more to the point for us, in a world that sometimes says that Christianity is a sinking ship, a waste of time or something worse... What would give us the confidence to become followers of Jesus, to share the good news, to face ridicule, to lay down our lives, to invest our time, resources, reputation and talents, all for God's kingdom cause? What would give us that sort of confidence? Well, let's work it through. Three things which will help us understand what is happening here. So Jeremiah's purchase of the land was God's idea, points to a guaranteed future, and invites a faithful response. So first, the purchase was God's idea. That's actually abundantly clear. So let's look from verse 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the garden and said, Buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it. Buy it for yourself. I knew that this was the word of the Lord, so I bought the field. Now, despite this all sounding very straightforward, the context is anything but straightforward. So in the opening verses of chapter 32, we've just had King Zedekiah, so Jeremiah's captor, regurgitating all of the dire warnings that Jeremiah had been spruiking for decades. And we see with that roll-up summary, in effect, of verse 5, if you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Okay, That's the bottom line. That's the crunch. So I think very reasonably, what we don't expect to follow is the Lord commanding Jeremiah... To buy a field it actually kind of reminds me in a really insignificant way but it kind of reminds me of times at home when I'll say something like we're leaving in five minutes only for one of the kids to dump a huge box of Lego on the floor and start a big new project I just said we're going why start this now the Lord has said destruction is coming why buy a field but notice Not only is this clearly not Jeremiah's idea, in fact, the Lord's assurance in verse 26 that nothing is too difficult for him seems to be a little clue that Jeremiah himself may have been puzzled or even reluctant about this deal, but it's abundantly clear that the idea was straight from the Lord. What was the origin of the idea? The Lord. So verse 6, the word of the Lord came to him. The word of the Lord, which was confirmed just as the Lord said it would be by another person who'd make the approach only then Jeremiah knew that this was the word of the Lord from the Lord so he bought the field so why does it matter though why does it really matter that this is the Lord's idea well for one it means that this wasn't just some sort of investment whim by Jeremiah This isn't some sort of blanket divine endorsement or mandate for risky real estate, okay? It rules out the idea that we should go on our own initiative and go around purchasing property as some sort of prophetic claim or tactic to strong arm the Lord. It puts the kibosh on the idea that if we construct it, they will come or we build it, that God will bless. This is God asking Jeremiah to do something that doesn't seem to make much sense, That doesn't mean, of course, that every outlandishly bold idea is from the Lord, okay? I hope that's obvious. But it reminds us that not only should we be wholeheartedly, comprehensively, exclusively motivated by what God desires, but that our obedience ought not to be dependent on us always or completely understanding. There's obviously discernment and wisdom amidst that. But let's consider some examples. If you're a follower of Jesus, okay, uh, there are actually a stack of things known to us that the Lord asks of us, which really don't make a lot of sense in light of worldly wisdom. Just a few examples, okay? To, to love those, even those who hate us. To give sacrificially, not out of surplus. Protect the most vulnerable, even if they're not deemed as valuable to use our bodies in a way that honours God's intentions and not simply our desires, to prioritise God's kingdom priorities, not our personal aspirations, to pursue forgiveness over retribution, to promote God's glory rather than our own reputation, to build up God's church even though it feels broken, To let God take the lead rather than us be in the driver's seat? To share good news, even if it comes at a cost? Now, none of those things are my idea. And that's the point. Day-to-day following a Jesus begins with a conviction, with a desire to be driven by what God desires rather than what we desire. That we would be obedient to his will rather than our will. Perhaps right now there might be something in your life that God is leading you to do. You might not want to do it. Now, of course, you should test that, discern that, seek wisdom, of course, but be encouraged that our confidence is not primarily found in our complete understanding, but understanding who it is who is asking us to obey. Second, the purchase points to a guaranteed future. So let's look from verse 13. In their presence, I gave Barak these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields and vineyards will again be bought in this land. In the verses just before this, we read that this land has quite the backstory, that Jeremiah was able to purchase it, perhaps even had a duty to redeem it through a provision in the law uh, related to being the closest relative. But you could understand if Jeremiah thought there was actually very little point to this. You know, personally, he's imprisoned, his life is uncertain, and he has no relatives to pass it on to. Prophetically, well... He's already relayed God's instruction to the people that they should settle down in exile to build, plant, eat, marry, increase there in Babylon. They will be heading into exile and need to have a presence there. But God is showing them through this action that this is a sign of future hope. They may be going into exile. It will be for an extended time, but they will return. Jeremiah, I think, includes all the details about the transaction for, for a reason. So we read that the silver was weighed, witnesses were present, the deed was signed, and a copy was kept. Actually, did you note that the copy wasn't simply kept, but it was kept in a clay jar for, for safekeeping? So this is kind of the ancient equivalent of, of long-term secure storage. This would be equivalent of my, my son taking out his best Pokemon card and putting a copy in there and hiding the other way in some sort of sealed pouch. It needs to be preserved because it's going to be a while before they return. The Lord wants to ensure that long after the people remember that this even happened, and if the deed that they take with them is is damaged, destroyed, disputed or lost, that they can just dig the other one out and verify what through Jeremiah had been done. But there's more. They're not only to remember the future which awaits but that it is the Lord who guarantees it. The Lord is the guarantor. That's why immediately following the transaction, did you see Jeremiah breaks into prayer. On the just two occasions when we've had some sort of property transaction, I have to tell you, there's been a lot of prayer. I really don't enjoy anything about that process. I know some people love it. I do not. But, but note here, the content of prayer here is really distinct. It's, it's ultra-focused. It all focuses on who God is what he's done, and it's followed by what he's promising to do. So what, who God is, what he's done, and what he's promising to do. So if you scan down through verses 16 to 25, this is like a, a prayerful whirlwind tour of God's redemption history in the world. So in this moment, that's what Jeremiah's pressing into. He might feel a bit shaky about this, so he's rehearsing what he knows to be true about God in active relationship with him. He's recalling all the evidence for trusting God and holding on to that in prayer. That God made the heavens and the earth how, by his own power. That God redeemed his people even though he knew their sins. That God brought them out of Egypt into the promised land That God judged them as he said he would, but rescued them just as he had promised. So this field wasn't just some sort of stake in the ground, it's a reminder that they were a people with a future and that God is the one who will bring it about. Verse 27 I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Jeremiah is actively being reminded that he can be confident about this action, not because it makes sense to him in that time, it really doesn't, not because it was his brilliant idea, it wasn't, but because the Lord who told him to do it is trustworthy. I have to say, I'm so encouraged particularly recently by so many people in this community whom I know are facing all sorts of challenges and difficulties, who have reflected they don't know what the Lord is doing but can pray simply, "Okay, Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust in you. So what could possibly give us a confidence like that? I wonder if you'd like that sort of confidence. To go and make disciples... Or to face persecution, to make costly decisions, to deploy our resources, to shape our plans, to lay down our lives for God? What could give us confidence that Jesus will actually return and bring new creation to completion? How can we have faith in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not yet? see by fixing our eyes on jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of god see jesus death and resurrection don't just point to our future hope they are the very guarantee of it Jesus. Is our guarantor. And that is enough. The purchase was God's idea. The purchase points to a guaranteed future. And finally, it invites a, a faithful response. Jeremiah obeys and prays to help set his heart on God's future. So, verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Barak, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord. You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. If you want to live as a confident disciple, if you want to live in obedience to all that God asks of you, the thing I think which will fuel you more than anything else is having ways of remembering who God is, what he has done and what he's promised to do. Now, that's actually extraordinarily countercultural because, you know, culture, we think that, that confidence is born and nurtured and, and grows from, from telling yourself uh, great things about yourself. But if you want an unshakable confidence, it actually comes from being reminded of, of God's greatness. If you want to be a confident Christian, you need to be reminded of the big things of God. You know, Bonhoeffer famously said, I found salvation not in my life story, but only in the story of Jesus Christ. Uh, The people of God, they actually had all sorts of ways, really practical ways of remembering, ways of remembering God's greatness. You might be able to think of some of them, like uh, singing and telling stories of how God had acted, of reading scripture, of, of gathering his community, of rehearsing the truths of God together. And even, on occasions, building piles of rocks at prominent places to remind them of how God had, had acted. You know, we, need, we desperately need ways of remembering, too, that our lives would be saturated and punctuated by these ways of remembering that help us not to forget, but also to actively recall our part, how we're caught up in redemption history that help remind us that Jesus is the guarantor and the perfecter of our faith. Now, let me say, there is no point waiting until the moments we wane or are weak. We need those ways of remembering so that we're ready for when we're wobbly, but also grounded in God for when we're strong. The Spirit, of course, really helps us with that, having a regular and rich way of reading The scriptures will really help us with that. Gathering as God's community is really key. We need ways of remembering God's faithfulness and redemption history, but we also need ways of remembering God's faithfulness recently as well. Now, that, of course, is actually part of our focus today for Thanksgiving Sunday. We have so much to be thankful for as a community, and as we recall those things and pour out our lives in gratitude, it helps us to confidently keep pointing to God to the God who is so faithful it helps us to to faithfully follow where we believe God is leading us as a community so you might do that in your daily prayer life or reading the Bible as you you sit around the table and and say grace pouring out thanks each day or small groups are a wonderful way to to give thanks and to recall and rehearse how God is at work together to spur one another on Personally, one of the most helpful ways of remembering, I have found, ways of remembering God's faithfulness in my life has been that in my prayer journal, I rarely remove the prayer points once they've been answered. Now, there's no danger for me that they're going to become rote and meaningless because no matter how many times I read those things and pray them, each day as I get to them, I have to say, it's pretty embarrassing, but I'm always struck about how forgetful I am and if I had have struck those things off the list, they would have probably gone unremembered and unacknowledged ever again, unless I had ways of remembering. And so by leaving them there for me, regardless of the answer to that prayer, it helps me to be grateful, and it remembers and reinforces that the basis of my confidence and the certainty of hope I have is in the Lord. And, and when there's things that go unanswered, It's helping me to keep on laying these things down in a confidence that God is indeed working out his plans. It's got context. What he has begun, what he has secured, what he will bring to completion. He's inviting us to be part of that today. To invest in the future that the Lord is working out. The key to how we engage and enter into what God is doing is in relationship with him. That begins by putting your trust in Jesus and it continues through obedience and prayer. One of the truly remarkable, absolutely extraordinary points of thanks this year as a community has been to witness and to be very much a real part of a true story of coming to faith. As many of you know, that since being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer earlier in the year, Tritiv has been on an incredible journey of exploring the claims of Jesus and then putting his trust in the Lord, of being baptised and publicly declaring his faith. As we've prayed for him, he's continually said that no matter what happens, whether it is the Lord's will to heal him or not, he says he trusts in the Lord, that he has a confidence in the Lord. Just last week, I received really the most wonderful message from Tritiv and he's given me permission. He almost begged me that I would share it with everyone and I asked him if I could. I'm just letting you know that I came back home this afternoon after completing my 12th cycle of chemotherapy, which also happens to be the last for the protocol. I will now have a follow-up scan in late December, January. It has been an arduous journey, but to sum up, I have gained much more than I have lost. There is no turning back from here for me. I had no hope and was given six months to live. And now I have experienced such a miracle. I once was lost, but now I am found. Hallelujah. Trials and tribulations in this life are many. But the peace that I have found in our Lord Jesus Christ is beyond anything I have ever experienced before nothing bothers me anymore because our true destiny is not in this world it lies with Jesus following Jesus does not mean that our lives will be trouble free of course not I mean Jeremiah really knew that but this is what I can assure you we can have a confidence no matter what the circumstance no matter how uncertain things may be. Because Christianity is not fake news. It's good news. It's good news of what really lasts. We're not building our lives on, on something shaky, we're anchoring our lives and our eternity to the only thing that's true, the only thing that's truly solid. The Lord is good. And that Jesus is the guarantor of our future. Jesus is the reason that we can live with confidence today. His future is the only one worthy of investing our whole lives. So let's pray. Gracious and loving God, how we praise you so much for who you are for what you've done and what you've promised to do. Lord, we ask you humbly today, please, in the power of your spirit, would you really grow our confidence in you as we seek to follow you with our lives, with every aspect of our lives? Lord, would you please help us as we seek to lay down every part of our lives for you? Lord, how we thank you and praise you that you really are trustworthy and good We thank you and praise you that Jesus is the the guarantor and the perfecter of our salvation. Lord, we particularly pray for anyone here today who's feeling a bit wobbly or struggling in their confidence. Are they struggling in their confidence to put their trust in you for the first time? Or waking up each day after day and renewing i trust in you lord would you please so humbly and beautifully speak into their lives would you remind them graciously of your goodness may they know and experience your goodness that they might have a confidence that moves beyond our circumstances or that which is uncertain that they might delight in your abounding grace Lord, we also pray that you would help us as individuals and as a whole community to have ways of remembering, helpful ways of remembering that saturate and punctuate our lives and our gatherings, that we might always be a people characterised by gratitude and generosity. Lord, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This has been a podcast from St Bart's. To learn more, Or to take a next step, visit stbarts.com.au.